You may open your Bibles with me to Second Peter chapter 1, where our young brother just read to us. I hope that you enjoy singing that hymn that's not very popular in very many circles, When Thou My Righteous Judge Shall Come. Amen. Oh, He's righteous, He is a judge, and He is coming. But oh, there is sovereign grace that has saved us in spite of ourselves by His good will and according to the good pleasure of that will. I'm thankful that there are holy women who do not fall for all the effeminate babblings of our society, but who love the hard things of Scripture and the truth of God's Word. And there have been women like that, and there are women like that today, and I'm thankful for everyone in our assembly that loves sound doctrine and can easily endure it and chooses to endure it because they know that's what God has sent for them. Who is not looking for storytelling, nor emotional dramas, nor anything like that, but for the Word of God. We just had read to us Second Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 21. Let me comment very briefly on it. In verses 16 through 18, the Apostle Peter said that he had been privileged to climb the Mount of Transfiguration with James and John and the Lord Jesus Christ, and there saw the Lord Jesus Christ glorified with Moses and Elijah. He heard the voice of God thundering from heaven. He had three heavenly witnesses that he had heard the voice of God. He had three earthly witnesses that he had heard the voice of God. And he heard the voice of God so audibly that he was able to write the words. And they're right here in 2 Peter chapter 1 when he wrote in verse 17, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with Him in the Holy Mount. There are many churches that are wasting the time of their hearers today by some man or woman standing before them and saying they've heard the voice of God. We don't care if you've heard the voice of God. You can't prove that it wasn't the devil himself that spoke to you. Nowhere in the Bible are we told to look for the voice of God. Nowhere in the Bible are we told to listen to anyone that thinks they've heard the voice of God. Here's what the Lord would say in Jeremiah 23. The prophet that hath a dream, and that's what hearing the voice of God is. The prophet that hath a dream, let him tell a dream. The prophet that hath my word, let him preach it faithfully. What is the chaff to the wheat, saith the Lord. Now Peter believed the same thing we do. He did hear the voice of God, and these hucksters today have not heard the voice of God. Peter did hear it. Peter had heavenly witnesses and earthly witnesses. Peter remembered what was spoken by that voice, but here is what he said in verse 19. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. The Bible is more sure than hearing God's voice from heaven. 
You might be mistaken and it's the devil that spoke to you. You might have been confused by dreams that came later. And so you misrepresent his words. There's all sorts of troubles that can happen. We know that in our own legal transactions because we put things in writing. We do not rely upon the memories of men and spoken words. We put it in writing, and God has put His will in writing, and He does not reveal it by voices or dreams to men. He's given it in the Bible, and even Peter, who was an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ and heard God's voice and saw Jesus, Moses, and Elijah glorified, said, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. More sure. It's more sure than God's voice from heaven. Whereunto ye do well that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place. And it goes on to tell us exactly what Peter has in mind, and that's the written scriptures of God that were given by the Holy Spirit leading men to write those words. Whereunto ye do well. You are doing something good for yourself if you learn and follow the Bible. Because we live in a dark place. A country that claims to be a Christian country and yet has turned its back for the most part on the written Word of God. We are in a dark place. But we have a light that shines in that dark place and it's the Word of God, the Bible that you hold in your hands. And it's more sure than God's voice from heaven. Today, I want you to remember these words and other words like them. Bring everything back to the Bible. Bring everything back to the Bible. What does the Bible say? Those are the questions we want to ask and answer every time we face a question or a problem in our lives. Any degree of unhappiness in your life, any degree of unhappiness in your life is caused by you neglecting the Bible. Any confusion you have about your future is caused by you not knowing the Bible well enough. Your loss of hope is because you've left off reading the Bible. Your inability to answer the questions that others ask you is because you are not remembering the Bible. You're not meditating upon it. You do not have it hidden in your heart. The Bible has the answers to our lives. We are Bible Christians if we are nothing else. That means we are followers of the Bible first, and then we are Christians. I have said that to you many times before, and it's to put the importance of the Bible in its proper place. Because if it weren't for the Bible, we wouldn't even know what a Christian is, what a Christian does, or how we became Christians. It's all because of the Bible. So we are Bible Christians. The only source of truth and wisdom in the world is found in the Bible and nowhere else. There is no wisdom, nor counsel, nor understanding against the Lord. Whether that's against the Lord's Word or against the Lord's providence in our lives. You can go seek the wisest men, and you will never have the wisdom, nor understanding, nor counsel that we have in the Bible. You can ransack the libraries of Stanford, Yale, or Harvard, or all three of them combined. You can get special permission to get into the Library of Congress. 
you still will not have a treasury, a storehouse of wisdom and understanding and knowledge like you have in the Bible. All questions and problems can be solved from the Bible. But in order to be able to solve questions and problems from the Bible, you have to know it. And to solve problems in your own life, you have to do it. That's what we want to emphasize today. Bring everything back to the Bible. I am tired of discussions whenever we leave Scripture. Because once we leave the Bible, you can't prove anything. I don't care if you have a thousand scientific studies, and I don't care if you have 10,000 testimonials. None of it means anything. I'll defy you on any point, because you still can't prove it. You can't prove anything in this world to the satisfaction of those that want to oppose you, except the Word of God. This is a final authority. Scientific studies aren't final. They keep changing them every year. They keep coming up with the fact that no, that mollusk isn't 8 billion years old, it's 9 billion years old. They tell us one year that red meat causes early death. You know, then the next year they tell us it's good for you. They tell us drinking wine is not good for you, so they outlaw it with a constitutional amendment. Then they bring it back, and lo and behold, the last 10 years, they're telling us that a glass of red wine a day is going to reduce your causes of death from all causes by a good percentage. Scientific studies. That's why the Lord said, Timothy, keep that which has been entrusted to your care and forget science falsely so-called. We have the answers in the Bible. And to the Bible we must go. Let's bring everything back to the Bible. I get tired whenever I make the mistake. And it's nearly fatal of leaving the Bible in any discussion with anyone about anything. Because once you leave the Bible, then it's your opinion against their opinion. It's your experiences against theirs. Your feelings against their feelings. And you are lost in a swamp. It's the morass of human thinking and feelings and opinions when we have a rock here for our feet. And it's the Bible. If you want the whole lesson of today, I will beat the horse for a while. I'm going to beat the horse for a while today. But the lesson is, in our homes, in our hearts, in our lives, in our discussions, let's bring everything back to the Bible. Because the answers are in the Bible. It's the only solid foundation we have. If we take one step off it, we are in quicksand. And it will suck you down and suffocate you. Lord, help us. Instead of fretting, worrying, or talking about dilemmas, go to the Bible. It's got the answer. It's got the answer. You say, but what if I don't find it? Let's think about that terrible consequence of not finding it. What if you go to the Bible and you can't find it? That means you're going to look further, right? right? You don't find it in the first ten minutes. So you spend another ten minutes looking for it. I promise you, brethren, if you don't find the specific answer for what you were looking for, you're going to find so much that bolsters your faith. Without the answer to the specific issue, you'll be fine and walk away from that experience with a smile on your face and joy in your hearts. You'll never hurt by going to the Word of God. And then call a few of us. We'll help you find it. And we'll all go away with a smile on our face and joy in our hearts. 
Because the answers are in the Bible. Every father in every home, every child ought to learn. Jonathan, I especially want you to learn. Let's take it back to the Bible. I want to get an email from your father saying that there was a discussion at your supper table and you said, let's take it back to the Bible, Dad. That will make me happy. It will make the Lord happy. I want everyone in here to think that way. Let's go to the Bible. What does the Bible say? God has spoken to us and put it in writing so that we can be absolutely sure of what He said. And that we can remember it and have it for all time because it's on a printed page for us. We are blessed above all people. What if it was an oral tradition? What if my memory failed and I gave you the wrong oral tradition or forgot 30% of it? We have it in the Word of God. We are blessed. We have God's answers, our Creator. The Creator that made you, that science can't even figure out. Made your brain, made your heart, made all the processes that keep you alive every second, that are keeping you alive right now. He ordained them. He controls them. He upholds them. By Him all things consist. He told us the answers to all of life's dilemmas, the questions philosophers can't answer, and what you can do to have a successful God-pleasing and man-pleasing life. Lord, help us to always take things back to the Bible. The flesh and the world and the devil want you to consider anything else but the Bible. They want you to consider experience. They want you to consider results. Results don't prove anything. I read in the Bible that God blesses fools with prosperity to deceive them. It's called the prosperity of fools in Proverbs chapter 1. Don't you count results. That's not evidence. Evidence is, thus saith the Lord. It is written. It is written. That's real evidence. Don't go anywhere. Don't go to feelings. Your flesh and the world and the devil want you to drift into feelings, into popular opinion, into what the experts say. But there's one expert. He's the infinitely wise God, and He's given us the Bible. What does the Bible say? For everything. Everything. What does the Bible say? No matter who you are, no matter what you're facing, when it is, or where you might be, bring everything back to the Bible. I am telling you a secret that causes me frustration when I forget it myself. Whenever I engage in any discussion to try to help someone or to answer a question, and I leave the Bible, I then enter into this tit-for-tat, my opinion versus your opinion, and it is incredibly debilitating. It's frustrating, and you walk away knowing that you haven't helped anyone. Because you've listened to them, and their opinions are worthless, and you've expressed your opinions, and they're just as worthless. What matters is the Word of God. Let's go back to it. There are no purpose-driven substitutes for the Word of God. You need the Bible. You don't need books about the Bible. You need the Bible. You need God's Word. May the Lord help us. Don't get distracted with opinions, with history, with results, with numbers, with science, with so-called facts. Commit yourself to the Word of God. Look at Proverbs chapter 22 with me. Proverbs chapter 22. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? Thou 
the minute you start talking about your understanding, if you ever say the words, well, I have found that this works, then they're going to say back to you, but you don't understand. I'm different than that. Our situation can't be lined up like that. And oh, I've made it a few times in my life. That's why I'm telling you about it. I don't want to make it anymore. I don't want you to make it. Well, this is what I think. Well, as soon as you start down that road, then that means you've got to listen to what they think or you're not being fair. And both parties ought to submit to the Word of God. What does God think? Then nobody has a right to talk. Because your opinions against the Most High are what we already read earlier this morning, profane and vain babblings. Submit yourself to God's Word. Look at Proverbs 22. This is what we want in our lips. Verse 17. Proverbs 22, 17. Bow down thine ear. You say, how do I bow my ear? I can't even wiggle my ears. How do I bow my ear down? That is a figure of speech about humbling yourself and listening to instruction. Bow down your ear. Humble yourself and hear instruction. Bow down thine ear and hear the words of the wise and apply thine heart unto my knowledge. For it is a pleasant thing if thou keep them within thee. They shall with all be fitted in thy lips. That thy trust may be in the Lord, I have made known to thee this day, even to thee. Have not I written to thee excellent things and counsels and knowledge, that I might make thee know the certainty of the words of truth, that thou mightest answer the words of truth to them that send unto thee. It is a pleasant thing. I am telling you how to have fun. I am telling you how to have joy and excitement in your life to keep God's words within you. And if you have them within you and you're stirring them up and thinking about them and meditating upon them, they will be fitted in your lips. You'll be able to speak of them to those that ask. That's what verses 18 and 19, verse 18 especially is telling us. And look at verse 21. Solomon here is declaring that he wants to make known the certainty of the words of truth. There are words that are the final answer on all questions. And those words are from the Bible. The final answer. Don't you get tired of arguing? Debating? I mean, are you going to sit down with your children and say, what do you think, children? Oh, if there's five children in the room and you give them long enough, you'll have 15 opinions. Because once they make it around the room, they'll alter their opinion from the first pass. And a second time around the room, they'll alter it again. You never open up something. What do you think? No. What does the Lord think? And that's the answer. That's the certainty of the words of truth. There is an answer for everything. And yes, we're going to look at some of those answers before the day's out. But I want to establish the error and the danger of saying, what do you think? Or I've had this experience, or this has worked for me. It doesn't matter if it's worked for you. What does God say? The reason it worked for you is because you must have departed from Scripture and God deceived you. Or it worked for you because you departed from Scripture ignorantly and God was merciful to you. Because of God's judgment, because of God's mercy, you can't prove anything from what you've done. So we go back to the Bible. Back to the Bible. When the Lord Jesus Christ was tempted, He responded one way three times. What were His words? His three words that are so important. 
It is written. Did the Lord Jesus Christ have some pretty noble thoughts that He could have expressed to the devil? Did He have the tongue of the learned so that He could have rather eloquently argued and debated with the devil? It is written. The Lord Jesus Christ had the tongue of the learned. Did you ever read about Him with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Herodians? And how they got done in Matthew chapter 21, it said they durst ask Him no more questions after that day because He silenced them with His learned tongue. He could have reasoned with the devil, but He didn't reason with the devil. He appealed to God Almighty and the truth of Scripture by saying, It is written, and the devil left him after three times. You resist the devil with the Word of God. He can't fight against the Word of God because that Word right there is the Word of His Creator. And he knows it is absolute and final truth. And that's why he's turning so many so-called Christians in our nation away from the Word of God to fables and to entertainment instead of Scripture. It is written, is in the Bible 80 times. 413 times the Bible says, Thus saith the Lord. Because that's what counts. It is written, and thus saith the Lord. Those are the things we want to emphasize. I'm addressing the men for the moment. The men. Because God has chosen you to be the leaders of homes. He didn't choose the woman to be a leader of the home. And it's not a joint partnership. He chose the man. The Bible says fathers. It doesn't say parents. It doesn't say mothers. It says fathers. Bring up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It is your job to bring them up in the instruction and the rules of the Lord. Fathers should be known for saying, what does the Bible say? Or, this is what the Bible says, and then explaining it to their family, this is the final answer to this dilemma, to this debate, to this discussion. This is God's answer. Men, that is your duty. The Lord wants you to know that, those scriptures, and to communicate them to your children. However, we want great women. And great women are not touchy-feely and operating with opinions and their feelings on matters, but going back to the Word of God. I had great pleasure this week in studying for this sermon, going back over Abigail and her relationship with David in 1 Samuel 25. Abigail brought righteousness and the Word of God to bear on David. Now David was rather intelligent. David was a prince. David was anointed king of Israel. He had the power. He had the authority. He knew God's Word. But a woman corrected him. And he humbled himself and submitted to that instruction because it was wise and it was according to God's Word. And every one of you women should learn the Word of God to be able to answer the same questions or dilemmas that face you. What does the Bible say? Women, I'm going to tell you a secret. And I encounter this all the time. If your husband is doing something wrong, you get so amazed, it amazes me. You're so fearful of your husband. When he's upset or he's doing something wrong, you're not sure how you ought to correct him. 
The Bible tells me that you are to be in subjection to your husband with all fear, but not so much fear that you are in amazement to where you cannot know the difference between right and wrong. That's 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Your greatest leverage with your husband is the Word of God. Don't face him off face to face and tell him he's wrong. That's just foolish. Don't appeal to your wedding vows. Don't appeal to your love. Don't appeal to what you did last night in bed for him. None of that means anything when a man is set in a path of wickedness or he's upset. David was angry and upset. And there were no appeals like that. There was appeals to righteousness. And what does the Bible say? Write your husband an email at work. Leave him a note. And put the Word of God in it. Husband, I submit to you as your wife in all matters. But in this matter, you are going against the Word of God. And I beg you to consider what you're doing in light of Scripture. You have just invoked the highest authority that a man ever faces. You have the greatest chance of success in doing it that way. I would not preach him a sermon at the supper table. I would not preach him a sermon when he comes to the door after working all day. I would give him some time to think about it before he faces you. There is a way to handle your husband or anyone in authority that fears God. And that's why we don't let any of you girls marry someone that doesn't fear God. Because we want you to have a husband that I can bring the Word of God to bear on him. Your fathers can bring the Word of God to bear on him. And you can bring the Word of God to bear on him. If you get a man that fears the Lord, you've got him. Right where you want him. Because if you'll bring the Bible to bear and point out some Scripture that he may be breaking, he'll submit to that if he fears the Lord. It's your greatest leverage. Women, I have just exalted you far above anybody who babbles about marriage being a partnership. Because you know that's not in the Bible, and you know that doesn't work anyway. I've just given you your leverage. Turn to Amos chapter 8. Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos. That was Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos. Amos chapter 8. Don't tell your husband it hurts. You know, when he's angry, he don't care. In fact, when he's angry, he's probably trying to hurt you. All you're doing is giving him a reward for his effort. Why in the world would you tell him that? Don't you know you hurt me last night? Yeah, I was thinking about it. I was trying to figure out just how I could. Now, that's wicked thinking. I'm not justifying that kind of thinking, but that's the way the natural man works. But you bring the Word of God to bear on him. Just type out that verse. And stick it in his lunch. Oh! You know, if you were staying there with a baseball bat during his lunch hour, it wouldn't be any worse than having to face the Word of God from his wife, who he now knows, and he knows that God knows, that his wife is wiser and more righteous than he is, and he's going to have to humble himself. You say, well, what what if he doesn't say anything to me when I lay the Word of God on him? Just don't. You don't have to worry about a thing. He doesn't need to say anything to you. The Lord's doing all the talking if you left Him the Scriptures. 
the Lord's talking to him during the day and during the night. If he comes home and doesn't say a word to you and goes out and cuts the grass, on every strip back and forth, he's thinking about that verse. Almost. It, he's just working on his pride. As soon as he can squeeze it down small enough to get in the door, he'll come in and say he's wrong. You just wait on the Lord and wait on His Word. I'm telling you a secret. I'm so tired of women saying, I just don't know what to do. Well, humble yourself and submit to Him in agreement with the Bible because the Bible tells you to do that. And if there's something wrong in your household, then remind your husband with the Word of God when he has time to think about it before he sees you next. Amos chapter 8. Now, if you think it's bad for you men, what I just let out of the bag, I don't like getting reminded about my sermons from my wife. That is cruel and unusual punishment. But I'm thankful for it. And we want every one of our wives to have the backbone, the strength, the character, the nobility, that they will stand up like Abigail. I'll tell you something about David. David knew about women. David knew what a good woman was and what worthless women were. He knew what an average woman was and he knew what an exceptional woman was. And after that short encounter in 1 Samuel 25, what did David want? He wanted that woman. And do you know what that woman had just done? That woman had just told him, you're wrong and don't you dare do that or you're going to spoil your reputation. He said, I could never get away with that. Well, if you'll bring the Word of God to bear, you can get away with stuff like that. And just do it respectfully. She did it very respectfully. Ten days later, she was Mrs. David. That man wanted a woman like that. Who cares about a cabinet around you when you're king, when you can have a wife like that at home? Do you know what kind of input you're getting when you've got a godly wife like that at home? David took that wife because God got Nabal out of the way quickly. The Lord took care of Abigail, didn't He? Amos chapter 8, verse 11. This is a warning to us. It happened in Israel and it's happening today. Amos 8.11, you've heard these words before, but this is why I'm preaching this. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And they shall wander from sea to sea, and from the north even to the east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, and shall not find it. In that day shall the fair virgins and young men faint for thirst. This is a famine and a water shortage. But the famine is not of bread and the water shortage is not of water. It's of the words of God. And where did it come from? It came from the Lord. It's a matter of judgment on a people when God takes the word of God away from them. God doesn't owe the truth to any man. It is a blessed privilege to have the truth. It is blessed grace to have a love of the truth in your hearts. He owes it to no one. Do you know why He owes it to no one? Because in the Garden of Eden, we chose a lie in opposition to His truth. The Lord sends the famine. And we are in the middle of this famine. This is exactly the perilous time. Notice, in this language of verse 11 of Amos chapter 8, The danger would not be running out of bread. A real danger for your family is not running out of water. A real danger for you and your family is running out of the Word of God. 
That's what we ought to be concerned about. And that is why in the New Testament it says, in the last days, perilous times shall come. And what's the peril? Not famine. Not economic collapse. Not a fiscal debt or federal debt that is too large for us to pay off. Those aren't perilous times. Perilous times are Christianity departing from the Word of God. They will not endure sound doctrine. They shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears and shall turn their ears away from the truth and be turned into fables. That is a famine that is dangerous. And that is what we're opposing. It's in the Old Testament. It's in the New Testament. That is a true peril when the Word of God disappears. When people are no longer saying, what does the Bible say? Today they don't ask, what does the Bible say? They ask, how can we get more people to church? Well, that's easy. Just get the church looking more like the world and they'll flock in. That's easy. And so they're doing it. But we have to stick with Scripture in our worship here as a church and in our homes as families. In verse 12 it says, They shall wander from sea to sea, and from the north even to the east. They shall run to and fro, seeking the word of the Lord, and shall not find it. When I, when I try to take that verse and apply it to 2006, what do people do today to go from sea to sea and from the north to the east looking for the Word of God? They get online. They get online. Is there any truth being taught out there? They know that at their church, there's hardly any Bible being taught anymore. So they go online. And there they are seeking. They go from coast to coast and beyond the coast. They go into all countries of the earth looking to see if the Word of God is there. And there is so precious little of it. God has entrusted it with us. And in His mercy, for which I cannot explain, He has chosen us to be the pillar and ground of the truth in this place. And we need to be that starting at home and in our own hearts. What does the Bible say? Look at Job chapter 11. Job 11. Let's see what Zophar thinks of men. See if he'll help our self-esteem this morning. Job 11. Here's why we need the Bible. Do you know what you looked like when you were born? A wild ass's colt. I thought that would help your self-esteem. Job 11 and verse 12. For vain man would be wise, though man be born like a wild ass's colt. Vain man would be wise. That's why I write the proverb commentaries the way I do. Men think that they're wise and they think they have a right to let out their opinions. But do you know what the Bible wants to remind us? Man is born just like a wild ass's cold. That's why I love to think about men coming into this world. They come in dirtying on themselves. They have to be restrained with diapers wrapped around them, taped up, pinned up, to keep them from dirtying all over everything. To keep their hands away from it or they'd be eating it. It's the truth. It's the truth. And then, you know, after they've learned to ride a tricycle... They want to opine, that means give their opinion, on whether there's a God or not. Isn't that amazing? Vain man would be wise. 
Though man be born like a wild ass's colt. You know, it wasn't pretty when you came into the world. We're thankful for childbearing. We're thankful for childbirth. But it ain't pretty. Anybody that thinks it's pretty, you're twisted. We're thankful for the event. We're thankful for the blessing. But it looks no better than a wild ass getting its colt into the world. I like this verse. It puts man in his proper place. Vain man would be wise. Vain man, man is worthless and has no wisdom of his own. He's got to go elsewhere for wisdom. Look at Psalm 94. Psalm 94. The God of heaven has sent us a manual. He wrote it to tell us what we ought to do. Praise the God of heaven. Lord, help us to love Thy Word. Read it. Comprehend it. Meditate upon it. Have it fitted in our lips so that we can speak it to others. And have the certain answers of the words of truth. Psalm 94 and verse 11. The Lord knoweth the thoughts of man that they are vanity. That vain man that would be wise, the Lord knows his thoughts that they are vanity. They're empty. They're worthless. They're profitless. They're nothing. That's what the word vanity means. All of man's thoughts are worthless. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter that you think or the whole world thinks that anything can be improved upon the Word of God. Time out is not an improvement over the rod. Taking away their allowance is not an improvement over beating a child. The Bible says the rod and reproof give wisdom. Not taking away their allowance or having time out. You know, if you beat your child properly, they'll be screaming for time out. (laughs) Daddy. Because that's what we need. Listen, if you take a wild ass's colt, how can you ever put it in a cart and get to town? Do you think you can get a wild ass into a cart and get to town? Or are you going to have to use something on that wild ass? Does Proverbs chapter 26 tell me something? A whip for the horse and a bridle for the ass. And and a rod for the fool's back. That's how you teach wisdom to vain man. But brethren, we have been spoken to with a sovereign God. And we have hearts that want His Word. And we have His Word and His will for our lives in a book. You know, the, the world thinks it's getting better. But when I look around and see all the violence and the drugs and the divorce and the dysfunction, four things among 4,000, you say, how in the world can they say it's getting better? How in the world can they say that? Abortion. Murdering children in the United States of America as if it's nothing. How can they rail on the infanticide of Rome? We just don't let them see the light of day. Same-sex marriages. We're improving. We're advancing. Elton John and his man in bed. The picture of Elton John and his man at the so-called altar of a church in England being married. That should get you revulsively angry. Repulsively angry. The world's getting better. We have a young man here who has to go around and audit the debt of our nation. Does $8.3 trillion sound better? 
Does 35 billion of off-balance sheet items making a total of 43 billion sound better? Does that sound like we've made advancements in fiscal management of a country? And they call rap music. And they call Picasso an artist. I say we need the Bible. Vain man would be wise. And the Lord knows that all his thoughts are vain. The Bible's the written record of what God wants us to do. Look at Deuteronomy 29. Deuteronomy 29. Love the Bible, children. Read the Bible. It's a treasure. You have God's book to you. A letter from God to you. You say, well, He didn't really write it to me. God is so wise and infinitely smart that He can write it individually to you so that when you're reading it, you get individual benefits from God writing those words to you. You say, but He also wrote those words to others. That's why He's God and you're not. He's able to communicate with all of us from the same words as if He was communicating only to us. It's a wonderful thing we have. That's why David could say he rejoiced as at finding all spoil. That's why he could say he loved it exceedingly. That's why we had read to us that it was sweeter to his taste than honey, and it was more valuable to him than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Deuteronomy 29, 29. 29, 29. The secret things belong unto the Lord our God. It's none of our business what God's going to do or what God does. Those secret things belong to Him. They're His. We don't delve into them. The secret things belong unto the Lord our God. But those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. The things that are revealed, that are written down, that were given by 40 men moved by the Holy Ghost to put them in a book, those things have been revealed for us and our children. This is a family heirloom. God gave that book to your father. Are you going to perpetuate it when he and I are gone? It's a family heirloom. It's the greatest thing he can give you. The Bible, the wisdom of God, the understanding of God given to us. They belong to us and to our children that we may do all the words of this law. Everything contained in the Bible in its proper place is what we're supposed to do. And the man that does it is a successful man. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that beareth his fruit in his season. His leaves shall not wither. He will have a successful and a prosperous life. You bark up against that book and you're going down. What a gift we have. What a gift. Look at Isaiah chapter 8. Isaiah chapter 8. The Bible's the written record that God's revealed to us of His opinion on all things. Perfect answers are found in the Bible. All you have to do is read it and find them. That's why we have a church. You have a pastor that's supposed to find them for you, and we help one another find them. So that we can know the will of God for our lives and keep it. Thank you, Lord, for your scriptures. Isaiah chapter 8. To the law and to the testimony. Here's the Bible. To the law and to the testimony. If they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. Any thought 
any thought that opposes the Bible has no light in it. Not it has some. Let's give them credit that they're close. There's no light in it if it differs from the Word of God. And that is where we want to go to the law and to the testimony. And any other opinion we hate. That's why David said, I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. It is right to hate things, and those things are anything that differs from God's Word. That's what David did. And we want to be like David in that matter. Look at Job 5. Job chapter 5. The Bible is the absolute and only and final source of truth in the world. When you leave it for your own understanding, or you leave it for the opinions of men, or you leave it for our accommodations, our institutions of higher learning, you have wandered out of the way of understanding and you shall remain in the congregation of the dead the rest of your life. Job 5. And verse 12, this is the God we worship. Job 5.12, He disappointeth the devices of the crafty, so that their hands cannot perform their enterprise. He taketh the wise in their own craftiness, and the counsel of the froward is carried headlong. They meet with darkness in the daytime, and grope in the noonday as in the night. But He saveth the poor. God saves the poor, those that will humble themselves before the Word of God. Now, of these verses from Job 5, 12 through 14. That's why he quoted them in 1 Corinthians 1 and 1 Corinthians 3. God will take the wisdom of this world and those men that think they are smart and those men with college degrees and education and large libraries and make them grope as if they were blind men in total darkness because there is no light in them. As we just read from Isaiah 8, the light whereunto ye do well that you take heed is the Bible. The Bible. If your life is not geared around the Bible, it's doomed to failure. It's not my word, it's God's word. Look at Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs chapter 8. It's just my job to remind you and me. I've been reminded before this morning and I'm being reminded now as I speak to you. I'm speaking to myself. Is our, our, our lives geared around the Bible? Is that where we get all of our answers for what we're going to do? Proverbs chapter 8. This whole long chapter of Proverbs is an offer by Lady Wisdom to take wisdom from her. She calls unto men and offers them wisdom. And here's what the 36th verse tells us at the end of this long, passionate offering of wisdom. He that sinneth against me wrongeth his own soul. He that sinneth against me wrongeth his own soul. If you go against the wisdom of God's Word, you are not hurting anyone else. You are hurting yourself. You are doing wrong to yourself. All they that hate me love death. If you hate wisdom, you must love death. And the Lord can help you die slowly. Slowly with pain on the inside, pain on the outside, terrible circumstances, trouble. The way of transgressors is hard. And what is a transgressor? Someone that goes against and rejects the word of wisdom and the offer of wisdom in the Bible. 
Lord, help us. Save us from such foolishness. We need to build our lives on the Bible. Jesus taught that a wise man will build his house on a rock. And what was that rock that it was in reference in Matthew chapter 7? My sayings. He that heareth my sayings and doeth them is like unto a wise man that built his dug down deep and built his house on a rock. The Bible in every way. When we come back, we are going to look at the Bible and how it affects all parts of your life. A foolish man rejects that wisdom of God and builds his house in the sand and the fall of that house is great. Look at James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Please, just a few more minutes. James chapter 1. The Bible is a mirror. God knows you better than you will ever figure yourself out. If He let you live as long as Methuselah, you still wouldn't know you like He knows you. He is able to divide between the joints and the marrow, between the soul and the spirit. There is nothing hid from His sight. He understands all the thoughts and intents of your heart. And He has written a mirror. You can look into the Word of God and it is like a mirror. As when you get up in the morning and look in that mirror and see all the problems that you ought to correct on your face before you go into public. When you look into the Word of God, it shows you all the imperfections and blemishes and things you need to clean up before you go out and live. Here's what it says. Verse 21, Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is likened to a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was." If you look in the mirror of God's Word and see something there that you ought to do differently, it says, honor your father and your mother. And you're not honoring them. And you look at that and just go away. You are going to judge your own life. You're deceiving yourself. There's no comfort in the fact that you read the truth. The comfort is in the obedience of the truth. Look at that 25th verse. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty... Here's the man that looks into the mirror of God's Word and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This man shall be blessed in his deed. We had read to us this morning, and in the keeping of it, there is great reward. This man will be blessed in his deed. If you look into the mirror of God's Word, and you, oh, you see a blemish, you see a spot, and you correct it, God will bless you. You have a manual and we have to live by it. We have to love it. And we have to bring everything back to it. And we have to say, what does the Bible say about every part of our lives? What should a young man do who wants to have a successful life? Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? What is the answer to that question? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. What chapter of the Bible do you think that might come from? 
Psalm 119, what verse? Verse 9. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? How can a young man clean up his act, clean up his life, and be a success? By taking heed thereto, according to thy word. If there is one age group and one sex that the Bible is written for, it's written for young men. That verse tells us that. You go to Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 6. Do you know why we have the book of Proverbs? For a young man. For young men to get wisdom and discretion, judgment and equity, justice and understanding. Young men, this is your book. Teach it to your wives and teach it to your children. If a woman, if a woman will learn anything, let her ask her husband at home. Fathers, bring your children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. This is your book, young men. This is a great book. This is a book that will make an Elihu out of you. Job 32, go read it sometime. One of the greatest characters in the Bible. Hardly known by anyone. You heard that wonderful passage from Deuteronomy 4? That we had read to us this morning? Deuteronomy 4. If you'll keep all my statutes and all my commandments, all the nations of the earth are going to say, Wow! What a wise and understanding people. Do you know the whole earth looked at the United States of America as the epitome of liberty, freedom, prosperity, success, nobility. The country that you were chosen to live in, which has now turned its back on the means of its success. And that was the Word of God. The people that came here loved the Word of God. The best sellers in this country were the King James Bible, Pilgrim's Progress, Fox's Book of Martyrs, and the McGuffey Readers, which taught children how to read by turning them to the King James Bible. Now that's a cycle, isn't it? Amen. And they've left it. We were the wonder of the earth. We're soon becoming the despicable object of hatred in the earth for our arrogance and our pretended prosperity when they hold so much of our debt that if they ever were to ask for payment at one time we'd be in sore trouble to pay off. You'll be serfs and our children will be serfs. But we don't care about any of that. What we want to think about is how much we've lost by turning away from the Word of God and how much will you lose and your family lose by turning away from the Word of God. Look at Psalm 147. Psalm 147, what a great blessing to have the Bible. The Bible says, Blessed is that nation whose God is the Lord. If a nation has as its God anyone other than the Lord Jehovah of the Bible, they are backward, foolish, poor, superstitious, and live vain, worthless lives. Blessed is that people and that nation whose God is the Lord. Look at Psalm 147, the last two verses. He showeth His word unto Jacob, His statutes and His judgments unto Israel. God gave His word to the little nation of Israel. He hath not dealt so with any nation. And as for His judgments, they have not known them. Praise ye the Lord. And brethren, here we are, a holy nation called the Church of Jesus Christ, and we have the Word of God and can rejoice in it today. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 32. 
Deuteronomy 32, and with this I close for this morning. Deuteronomy 32. What a blessing to have God's Word. When Israel followed the Bible, they rode upon the high places of the earth. They had a wonderful nation when they followed the Bible. Prosperity and happiness were in her gates. She was filled with praise and delightful things. God filled them with the good things of the earth while they followed the Bible. When they turned from the Bible, He would bring them down low, very low. They would be servants to other men. They would be deprived of all their happiness. And it is the same for you on an individual basis if you turn from the Bible. If the Bible isn't the most important thing in your thinking, your speaking, your lives, your family's life, the Bible, what does the Bible say? Whenever you read the newspaper, what does the Bible say? For instance, we have a couple of cross players for Duke University who have had their lives basically ruined by a little exotic dancer who claims to have been raped by them. It's all over the papers and has been for several months. Take it apart with the Word of God. Exotic dancers should have been put to death before they got to the house where the party was going on. Now that'd solve a lot of problems, wouldn't it? But that's what the Bible says. Second thing, the Bible says no one can bring a charge against anyone for any sin when there's only one. No one. No prosecuting attorney or district attorney should have listened to that woman's voice. Because one witness is not to rise up against anyone for any offense. Second, if you didn't scream when you were raped, the Lord doesn't care. The Bible is very specific about that. Because that makes all the difference in the world. Kobe Bryant had to pay off millions for a little whore that went and took advantage of him. Now both of them should have been put to death. Don't get me wrong. There's an answer in the Bible. And do you know what Solomon said in, Sol- in, Song of Solom- I mean, in Ecclesiastes 2? He said, the more you know the Bible, the harder it is to read the newspaper. Right. Do you know how he said that? As you increase in wisdom and understanding, wisdom becomes a grief to you and sorrow to you because you can see answers to everything. It tears me up to have those young men in trouble. However, I think the young men ought to be whipped for what they did anyway. One witness can't rise up against anyone. If you didn't scream, it doesn't matter if you were raped or not. Because then there's no evidence that you were raped. If they did rape her, put him to death. Or they have to marry her. Which would be worse. That's what the Bible says. You know, there's an answer for everything. If, if you'll learn the Bible, reading the newspaper, while it's sorrowful because the world is so crazy... It just glorifies the Word of God. Because these people are now spending millions and millions of dollars to defend themselves, and the whole county up there is embroiled in this dispute, and all of it can be settled with, Thus saith the Lord. And it wouldn't have cost anybody. Maybe a policeman a bullet, but I'll pay for it. Deuteronomy chapter 32. I didn't defend any wrongdoing in what I just said. Deuteronomy 32, verse 45, And Moses made an end of speaking all these words to all Israel. 
You know that Moses wrote five books, and they record his life in Deuteronomy's number five. And here we are in the near the end of the book of Deuteronomy, and it says in verse 45, Moses made an end of speaking all these words to all Israel. And he said unto them, Set your hearts unto all the words which I testify among you this day, which ye shall command your children to observe to do all the words of this law. For it is not a vain thing for you. It is not a vain thing. Because it is your life. And through this thing ye shall prolong your days in the land whither ye go over Jordan to possess it. My brethren, my sisters, my children, it is not a vain thing to make the Bible the most important thing in your life. It is your life. And the Lord will prolong your days and bless your days if you will read and heed these words. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word.